I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy Torah, out of thy law. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Heavenly Father, as we crack open your word again this afternoon, we pray that your words would come alive to us and that we would see it in maybe a way that we've never seen it before. That it would not just touch us intellectually, but it would touch our hearts and touch our spirits and just get down deep into the root and to the core of, of who we are so that, we, so that the word can do its work and transform us and change us and conform us more into the likeness and into the image of your son, Yeshua. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. This week's Torah portion is called Teruma which means contributions, and it's taken from Exodus chapter 25, going all the way to chapter 27. Now, it's called Teruma contributions because everything that made up the tabernacle was donated by the children of Israel. Now, where did these slaves get everything that they needed to contribute? Egypt. Egypt. They got it when they spoiled Egypt before they left. Because, because the firstborn had died, the rest of the Egyptians were thinking, oh my gosh, the second, the third, the fourthborn, we're all next. So the children of Israel is like, hey, let me let me have this, let me have that, let me have your gold, your garments, your sure, take it all, just leave, just get out of here. So they had plenty of resources when they went out into the desert, and they had all the gold, the silver, the brass, uh, you know, the the uh, goat skins and and all the things that they needed. Uh, to in order to make the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and that's why it's called contributions. But as I've been doing for uh, this year's Torah portions, I've been using the the Brit Chresha, the Renewed Covenant, the New Testament, as a springboard uh, for what we read in the Old to tie the two together to show that they're really it's all one book. So I want to start out in Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, and we're going to begin with verse thirty-two. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now we know in Acts, kind of like in Exodus chapter 25, the children of Israel were, were producing a new community. They were becoming a new uh, nation, a new entity with its own customs, its own traditions, all these things. And so we see the same thing happen in the book of Acts where in Acts, you had the New Testament believers forming this new community that, that nobody had ever seen before. And it began with the Jews, and then the Gentiles came in in Acts chapter 15, and it just become a hodgepodge of, of, of Jews and Gentiles, just like it was in, in uh, the wilderness. You had the 12 tribes, but you also had the mixed multitude that when they saw all the things going down in Egypt, they're like, we're going to get out while the getting's good. You know, these, these Israelites, they, they know what's going on. They're, their God is the one who conquered all of the, the, the entire Egyptian pantheon. So there's no reason for us to stay in Egypt. We want to go with them. 
So just as in Exodus, so in Acts, you had Jew and Gentile believers. So in Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32, it says, Now the whole group of those who believed was one in heart and mind. In other words, they were all on the same page. Now it doesn't mean they agreed about every single nuance and every single little thing. I'm sure one person liked chocolate and the other person liked vanilla. I'm sure one person liked, you know, olives and the other person liked pomegranates. I'm sure they had their disagreements. I'm sure they had their druthers and their likes and their dislikes. But when it came to the word of God, when it came to the community of God, when it came uh, to, to evangelism and to the word, it says they were in one heart and one mind. They were all unified in their faith, all unified in belief. Now, the whole group of those who believed was one in heart and mind. No one would say anything. No one would say anything he owned was his own, but they had everything in common. So in other words, you know, no matter what people had, it was available for the community to use. So let's say that, uh, you know, Wade had a nice car. Or had a truck. Let's say we live in Canada. Let's say that Wade had a truck. And somebody say, hey, I need to borrow your truck in order to haul some wood. Is that all right? Sure. My truck is your truck. So we would let each other borrow the things that we needed because we were all, we had the, everything in common. We loved each other. We trusted each other. You know, we, we were all on the same page according to our faith. So no matter what somebody had, People were borrowing things and using other people's things back and forth, and all the community's needs were met because everybody was so open-hearted and so giving of their time, of their resources, just like the children of Israel. They were willing to give of their time and of their resources. Their heart was willing to give their gold, their silver, their brass, their garments to contribute in order that the tabernacle may be built. And there's a really fascinating thing that the labor... The, the, the brazen uh, the, the brazen laver that uh, the priest would wash in it was made of brass and it was and it came from all of the women's brass mirrors all of their brass mirrors were collected they willingly gave them no women's arm was twisted and they were made to give up their mirrors but they willingly gave their mirrors in order to be melted down and formed into this brass basin where the priest would wash I think that's I think that's kind of interesting. We're all the ones, hey, let's contribute. What do we got? Well, we got our brass mirrors. Well, let's all pitch in. And so just as in uh, Exodus, the same as in Acts. So again, it says, No one would say anything he owned was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the emissaries, that is the apostles, were given witness to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and abundant favor was upon them all. No one among them was needy. Why was nobody needy? Because everybody gave what was necessary in order to meet a person's needs. No, So they didn't have a need for welfare. They didn't have a need to depend upon the Roman government. They didn't have a need to panhandle. Because everybody, if somebody saw a need, they just automatically met it. With great power, the emissaries were given witness to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and abundant favor was upon them all. No one among them was needy, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds and set them at the feet of the apostles, the emissaries. And the proceeds were distributed among, among those who needed 
um, at, according to each as one had. Uh, now Joseph also call, called Barnabas by the emissaries, which translates son of encouragement, was a Levite and a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the emissaries, the apostles. So we see that the, the first century believers, the, the fledgling community of believers after Yeshua's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, they all pulled together. And maybe they were taking their cue from Exodus chapter 25 of the Torah portion of Toruma because everybody pitched in what they had in order to meet the needs of the community. So let's go to Exodus chapter 25 and read the first seven verses. So we just read Acts chapter 4 verses 32 through 37. So contributing physical things to, in order to manifest a spiritual reality. A physical community was built to usher in the presence of God. So the believers contributed their physical things in order that a spiritual reality may be manifest. I mean, we can be as spiritual as we want to be, but that doesn't negate the necessity of the physical. I can praise God, but I still need my vocal cords to praise God. I still need my hands in order to raise. I still need my knees in order to bow. You know, so I, I praise God through the phys physicality of my body. So the first century believers contributed physical things to manifest a spiritual reality, that is, a community of believers. So a physical community was built to usher in the presence of God. When we all are one and we all pitch in together, make sure all of our needs are met, and we're all on the same page spiritually, that, that sets things up for our success. That sets things up for the presence of God to become real and manifest. And maybe that's how the revivals broke out in Asbury and in and, and Tennessee and other places on, on these campuses is because all of the students and the faculty were of one mind and one accord and, and, and they were ushered in the presence of God because they were all on the same page. So in Exodus chapter 25, it says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, tell B'nai Israel, that is the children of Israel, to take up an offering for me. Now, who likes to hear that? All right, folks, we're going to take up an offering. Oh, yeah, here we go again. The minister always asking for money. Get out your pocketbooks. Pass the plate. Embarrass me while the plate's being passed. You know, make me feel obligated to dig into my pockets and to give something. But it said, tell the children of Israel to take up an offering for me. But here's the thing. It's not like somebody shoved a plate and said, give. Come on, give. Everybody's watching. If you don't give, you're going to look bad. It says, from everyone whose heart compels him, you are to take up an offering. So basically, it was volitionary. It was voluntary. Nobody's arm was twisted. Nobody put a gun to anybody's head. Nobody shoved a plate in anybody's face. That's why in Jewish synagogues, it's a, tra a tradition to have a zadaka box to take up the offering instead of to pass a plate like they do in churches. So nobody's embarrassed, and it's only between that person and God what they give and how much they give and when they give. So it says, tell the children of Israel to take up an offering for me, not for Aaron, not for, not for his sons, not for the Levites, not for Moses. Take up an offering for me. So whatever is being taken up is going to be used for the Lord's purpose and for the Lord's work. From anyone whose heart compels him, you are to take my offering. So once they hand it over, it's no longer that person's, it's the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. These are the contributions from which you are to receive from them. Gold. Silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet cloth, fine linen, and goat's hair, 
ram skins dyed red. Now this, it says seal skins. Some, some say dolphin skins. Some say manatee skins. It's, it's just a really hard translation. We don't know for sure, but it was some sort of, you know, sea creature. Uh, that we that we could best understand, and it was probably used for its waterproofing purposes. Acacia wood, which was also called ironwood, because it was almost impervious to rot or to uh, infestation of insects. Oil for the light, and that was olive oil. Spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and the setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. So again. The children of Israel were contributing physical things in order to manifest a spiritual reality. A physical tabernacle was built in order to usher in the presence of God. Let them build a tabernacle for me, the scripture says. And when the tabernacle was built and it was erected and it was anointed and initiated, it said the presence of God filled that tabernacle to the extent that the Levites couldn't do their rituals or do the work because the presence of God was so thick and strong in that place and the cloud that was 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 descended upon it was so thick you you just couldn't do anything. Now first Peter two five says you also are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. So we know that buildings are important. They keep us warm, they keep us safe, they keep us from bugs and from the elements. But the church, the synagogue is not the building. It's the people. The building is just the place that we meet at. It's just a common meeting place. We're meeting here at Harvest House. We're not technically in a church or a synagogue. We could easily meet, you know, at somebody's home. That's what the first century believers do when they were kicked out of the synagogues and kicked out of the temple. They met in each other's homes. So Israel contributed physical things to manifest a spirituality. A physical temple or a tabernacle was built to usher in the, pre the presence of God. And so we, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 5, are living stones. We are the ones who make up the church. We are the ones who make up the body of Messiah. We're more of a, of a synagogue than a physical building. Now, also, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people would want to, uh, you know, to, to make the claim that, well, the building's not important. The physical building's not important. And in essence, I see what they're saying. They're right. A physical building isn't important. It's not necessary. There's been people that were martyred because they were defending a brick-and-mortar building. They think they were dying for the Lord. I think it was a wasted life because they could have retreated and could have saved their community, and the community could have popped up elsewhere. What did Yeshua say when you're persecuted? If they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. Don't worry about the buildings you're leaving behind. Don't worry about the brick-and-mortar places. You can always rebuild. You know, It's the people that make up the church. So people that die defending a church building, you know, they may, it's kind of a wasted life. They, they may have been a deacon. They may have been a pastor. They may have been some sort of leader in the community. Once that leader's gone, how are you going to replace them? So it's the people that are important, and Peter is stressing this. You are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. When we're all on the same page spiritually, spiritually speaking, we as stones fit together. Now, when they built the temple, all the stones were, were fashioned off-site. So that there wasn't the sound of a hammer or a chisel on the temple mount. They just brought the stones and they fit together. Whenever they were building stone altars out in the wilderness, they took unhewn stones and just put stones together. So they fit the, 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 the stones together like puzzle pieces. And we're all, spiritually speaking, have our likes, dislikes, gifts, talents, 
things, spiritual gifts God's blessed us with. Not one of us are the same, and that's great. We're like puzzle pieces that fit together and form a beautiful mosaic. Well, you know, what can you do with broken glass? Well, you can make a mosaic out of it, right? Something that's been shattered and broken. It may have been a beautiful bottle or a beautiful vase. And it, it, all these different colors. But if you take that broken glass, you just don't throw it in the trash. You can use it and put together a beautiful mosaic. And all these pieces that you didn't think were any good or had any use could be, could be used to make a beautiful picture. And that's the way it is spiritually speaking when we come together as living stones to, to make ourselves into a spiritual house. In Revelation 21, 22, it says, I saw, John said, I saw no temple in, in, the, in there. For its temple is Adonai Elohe Zevaot, the Lord God of hosts. So in Revelation 21, it talks about there is no temple because God himself is the temple. So spiritual realities doesn't negate or do away with physical realities. If it weren't for the physical, there would be no spiritual. And the scriptures really hone in and focus on the physicality of Christ because the Greeks were of the philosophy, anything that is physical is bad. Anything that is physical is evil. So they were trying to deny that Jesus Christ had a physical body. That's why in the, uh, you know, the letters of John and Peter, where it says, if somebody doesn't confess Jesus Christ coming in, in the flesh, don't have anything to do with them. Don't believe them. So there has to be the physical and the spiritual. You have to have both, a balance of both. You can't have one without the other. You can't have, you have to have them both. So that's why in the scriptures it stresses about Yeshua coming in the flesh. First Corinthians 15. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15. So we simply can't hyper-focus on the physical or the spiritual. We need both. And a lot of times people try to wiggle around the commandments of God and wiggle around the word of God by saying, Oh, well, I'm keeping the, the word of God spiritually. Yeah, how's that going for you? You, you gotta, you, you know, yeah, there's a spiritual aspect to the, to the law, the spiritual aspect to God's commandments, but there's a physical aspect as well, and both are important. You know, like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, yeah, God doesn't want you shacking up with somebody that's not your spouse. So physically, it's very important not to commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Yes, it's very important not to physically, you know, stab somebody or shoot somebody. But the spiritual is just as important. Yeshua said, don't lust after somebody in your heart because you've committed adultery in your heart. You've spiritually sinned. You've spiritually broken the commandment. Don't hate somebody because you've spiritually killed them. So you have to have both and you just can't say, well, you can't just spiritualize the way the, uh, away the word of God. The physical is just as important as the spiritual and vice versa. So the physical is here to assist the spiritual. The Lord's presence didn't come down until the tabernacle was built. And the tabernacle was made from physical things, gold, silver, brass, different cloths. So when we meet physically, it, 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 it triggers something spiritually. And it invites the presence of God when we're here in one mind, in one accord. So the question is, how will we build this congregation spiritually? Spiritually, how will we build this congregation the answer is by engaging physically. The more physical things we do, the more spiritually grown this congregation is going to get. 
when we meet for services, and I'm hoping to do at some point in the future a midweek service because here lately, the Lord's given me so many sermons. I'm like, Lord, when am I going to preach these? They're not meant for me to just speak into this recorder and then just upload it because really, to be honest with you, I don't get a lot of hits on Rumble or on Facebook. It's mostly you guys it's like, oh, I, I didn't get to make it this past Saturday, so I caught up and I listened to it online. You know, it's mostly that. There's very few people outside our congregation listen to what I post online. But it's there just in case somebody from the world finds it, and it's there for them. But what God has for me is for you guys. Secondary, it's to the world. So when we meet for services, when we meet for Bible studies, when we just come and fellowship and just have fun, when we go on visitation, when Pam has ladies' nights, or when maybe some guy may feel led to start men's nights, when we when we send each other, you know, cards, phone calls, emails, when we go out for coffee or for dinner or for lunch, those are physical things that we're doing that's helping to us grow and foster us spiritually. You know, by by sending food to one another when we're sick. By meeting our needs, if you know that somebody's lacking, you know somebody needs a, a bill paid, you, need, you know that somebody needs groceries, you know somebody needs boots or a winter jacket, just providing those things. And that's really hard because we don't want to be mooches. We've got a little pride going on and we don't want you know to be a burden to somebody else. But if we're truly family and we truly love each other, we should be comfortable expressing our needs. I recently had a need that it, it's, you know, I was, I, I just didn't want to depend on anybody and I didn't want, you know, it, it almost felt a little shameful to ask for help, but I ran out of some of my supplements that help keep me sane, you know, that help stabilize my mood. And I ran out and I was doing without, and I found myself in a really bad headspace. And then I told a close friend of mine and they said, don't ever Go without these supplements again. If you need, you let me know and I will help you. And I just kind of feel bad. But then the Lord said, no, that's what uh, friends and family are for. If you, if, you, so if you need something, let somebody know. So I got stocked up on you know, these supplements that, that help me with my seasonal affective disorder. Uh, so um, doing what they did in Acts 4 to eliminate needs... You know, we, we shouldn't have to depend on the government. We should be able to depend on each other. And I know that we're not wealthy people, but what little resources we have, we can meet needs. My goodness, we're small, but I remember we raised money to help some kid get a leg brace. I didn't expect that to happen, but you guys made it happen. You know, Christian came in just a couple weeks ago with a need. He just got out of surgery and everything like that. We were able to help him get through a really hard time and a really hard patch by physically doing things. Zilda did his laundry and somebody bought him groceries and, you know, everything like that. So everything helps. Every little bit helps. And when we do physical things among each other and with each other, we help foster our community spiritually. We grow spiritually by doing physical things. So I want to finish by reading from James. Which, in reality, it's the letter of Jacob. His Hebrew name is Jacob, James, Yaakov, Jacob. It was Yeshua's half-brother. So in James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, see, we feel very safe and comfortable spiritualizing things in order to alleviate us or, or, or have us to be able to get out of a physical responsibility because it's easy. 
And James addresses this. In James 2, 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked or lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in shalom, go in peace, be warm and filled, keep warm and well-fed. Just giving that blessing is just saying, keep warm and be fed. Is that going to clothe their nakedness and fill their empty stomach? It's a cop-out. And I don't want to downplay prayer, and I don't want to put shame on anybody who always says, I'll pray for you. But be careful when you say you'll pray for a person. Are you saying that as a cop-out? Are you saying that to, to alleviate yourself from some physical action, some physical responsibility? Sometimes we say, I'll pray for you, and we intend to pray for the person, then we totally forget about it when we get home, and we don't even pray. So let's be very careful when we say, I'll pray for you. And when we do, make sure that we do. And when we say, I'll pray for you, think to yourself, is there something physically I can do to help this person besides praying for them? Now, I, I had a good friend who lost a child. I'm million miles away from them. I wish I was with them physically so I could physically hug them and console them. But the best I can do is I'll pray for you. That's literally all I can do. But if I could do more, I would. If transporter technology was a real thing, I might just transport myself. You know, but if, if, if wormholes were real, I could just, just go over that. But I can't do that. I wish I could, but I couldn't. I can't. So we need to be very careful when we say, I'll pray for you. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in shalom, be warm and well fed, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is that? As they say in our day, talk is cheap. So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Now, I gave this example in Romans class. If I was poisoned, say I was bit by a poisonous snake, and sitting right in front of me was a vial of the antidote, the antivenom. I could sit there and have all the faith in the world and believe that that antivenom will save my life. Yes, praise God, I believe that antivenom will cure me and heal me. Yes, I believe it. Yes, sir, I do. Now, that belief, is that going to save me? No. I have to pick up the vial of anti-venom and, and, and take a shot of it. i got to down it in order for, to, for it to do me any good. If I just keep saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, and don't do anything, I'm going to die. So I have to put actions, works, in order to prove my faith. But someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But do, you, uh, but do you want to know, you empty person, that faith without works is dead? Wasn't Abraham our father proved righteous by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, the faith worked together with his works. And by the works, his faith was made complete. The scriptures was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a man is proved righteous by works and not by faith alone. 
And likewise, wasn't Rahab, the prostitute, also proven righteous by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We live in such a, a society where we're so individualistic, we're so absorbed with ourselves, and we, we've grown lazy. And COVID really didn't help because you know what? I don't even have to go to church. I could just, I could just get up in my pajamas. I can just get a cup of coffee and I could just flip on the computer and just, I could live stream a service. Cop out. That's just as bad as saying, well, I know that you're starving and I know that, that, that you're cold because you, you don't have the proper clothing, but I'll pray for you. I mean, if you're sick and you literally can't get to a service and it's online, well, then that's great. But just don't say, eh, I just don't feel like fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters. Eh, I don't feel like getting dressed up. Eh, I don't feel like getting out in the cold. I could, but I just don't feel like it. I'm just going to be in my pajamas and watch such and such, you know, Frigidaire, First Church Baptist, whatever. Uh, come on. You, you have to, we have to work in order to achieve what we want. We just can't say, oh, we want, we want oneness. We want a great, close-knit family, spiritual community. Well, that's not going to, we can say that all we want, and we can chant that all we want, but if we're not doing things as individuals to make that happen, it's not going to happen. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's like a rock band. The lead singer is the front man, but he's not a one-man show. Nobody is going to see a concert with just the lead singer singing. You've got to have the drummer, the bass player, the guitar player, maybe even a keyboardist, maybe somebody on cowbell, right? We always need more cowbell. But we all have to work together in order to make this community work, to make this congregation work. I'm just the facilitator. I'm just the one that's delivering the, the meat and potatoes. Everything else depends on you guys. There would be no Root of Yeshua congregation without you. We need each and every one of you. And when you're not here for whatever reason, you're sick or whatever, you're missed. Because each and every one of you contribute something special to this group. Something that we've learned to love and depend on and to expect. And when, when, they're not, when the person's not here, there's just something missing. And that means that we're growing close as a community. We're becoming family. And that's we're becoming those living stones that Peter talked about. So let's keep thinking. What can, what can we do to better facilitate and better grow this, this ministry spiritually? Something physical has to happen in order to manifest the spiritual. And these are the things that we got to keep in mind and think about. So let's go ahead and... I can be doorman. Doorman, yeah, or bouncer. Or bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> Alec can be greeter. Yeah, she's welcoming committee. There you go. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner and thoughts and intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. She is a tree of life for them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you help us to, to get outside of our heads, to get outside of ourselves. 
The Western society in the 21st century has conditioned us to be all about us, to be all about the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And Lord, help us to realize that we are more fulfilled, we are more joyful, we are more happy when we're serving each other. It's kind of like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And if we all scratch each other's back, everybody's back gets scratched. The need is eliminated. Help us to always keep each and every congregant in mind throughout our daily life and wonder, how can I better have a better relationship with this, this brother or sister? How can I better serve this brother or sister? And in doing so, we serve the root of Yeshua congregation. We serve our spiritual community. Help us, Lord, to grow not only as friends, but as brothers and sisters in Messiah, therefore becoming family. So that, Lord, that we can grow, maybe grow to such a degree that we split off and start having other satellite congregations. I mean, that's what they did in the first century. Once a house was full, a couple other people just left and started another house church somewhere. And then they were all, they all kept in contact with each other during the feasts. And they all kept in contact with each other through, through letters, through correspondence. So, Lord, help us to be the body of Christ, not just spiritually, but physically, so that it can be manifest spiritually. Help us to be selfless. Help us to learn that being the servant is, is being the greatest. And Yeshua was our example when he knelt down and did a slave's job and washed the disciples' feet. Help us to be like little children. Who he said, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you got to be like a little child. If you want to be a leader, you got to first be a servant. Help us to be able to serve each other, realizing that when we serve each other, we are in reality serving ourselves and ultimately serving you, which is what we want to do, Lord. And we spent time today, Father, sharing with one another of, of how we serve you. And a lot of what I heard is doing something for other people. And that's what service is all about. And Lord, just as in Exodus chapter 25, uh, Exodus chapter 25 and Acts chapter 4, help us to contribute what we have for the greater good of the community. For Lord, we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Yavarekaka Adonai Vishmareka. Yair Adonai Panava Lecha Vehunecha. Yasa Adonai Panava Lecha Vehasem Lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Bashem Yeshua Moshino, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Amen.